As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. College football. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, joined as always by my boys Ross, Brian, and Andrew. We're giving the folks a second to join, um, but we are once again live on Locker Room at 8 p.m. Central every Tuesday as we are here on the Locker Room app, presented by Sports Drink. Uh, we want to take a second to thank Sports Drink for allowing us to be a part of that crime syndicate and continue to be good earners for them. Oh, excuse me. Ross said he was ready, uh, but he's not, so we're taking this time to roast him a little bit. Uh, so you guys go ahead and enjoy that. Uh, but I hope you all had a good week. Uh, it was a really strange week for me at work last week. Um, but overall, pretty good. Recruiting dead period is open now. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, expanding the playoff, uh, we are going to discuss that as well. Um, and also... Media Days is on the way, so we will get to that as well. Ross Mulcairn, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing very well, KP. How you? How about yourself? I cannot complain at all, man. Uh, just, you know, vibing on this Tuesday evening. Uh, we, there's been a great run of shows um, this evening on the Locker Room app. Uh, we heard our good friends Whitney Medworth and Matt Ellentug talk about what's going on in the WNBA today. Recently heard Alex Kirshner and Jason Kirk uh, talk a little bit more about college football, but in ways that we cannot and will not attempt to um, for fear of embarrassment. Uh, but yeah, it's been a good evening on Locker Room. It's been a good day at work. Uh, and now we're recording banjo, man. So all is right in the world. That is what they say that, you know, once you hear that banjo, all is right in the world. You know, and sometimes it's hard to hear that banjo, but the second that you do hear that banjo, it's just, um, it just changes everything. So how are you today, man? How How's your week? You know, how are you doing right now? Just talk to me, man. We're an open book here. The week has been uh, pretty good. I um, am, am now in my, in my 26th year of life. Uh as of this past weekend. So, you have? Uh, you did turn 26. Um, 
this past. Happy belated banjo birthday once again, Ross. Thank you, thank you, KP. That's uh, means a lot. Um, but no, it, it was nice. You know, I got to uh, the rooftop, and my apartment is opened up, so got to have some friends over, and uh, it was a great time. That's great to hear. And I'm glad you joined first because I wanted to be the first person on Bander to congratulate you on Big Honey uh, winning his first National Basketball Association Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, this was this felt like a long time coming. Felt a little weird that Melo never got one in Denver, but uh, you know, Nicola has just been a beast this season. So congrats to you and the entire Denver Nuggets family. Thank you. As uh, as the banjo representative of the Denver Nuggets organization, which they are equally okay with me uh, describing myself that way. Yes. Um, it means a lot, you know. It's uh, it's a franchise that's had some ups and downs, but uh, their ups have only gone so high. Um, no NBA Finals appearances, no NBA championships, and until today, no NBA Most Valuable Players. But that is no longer the case. My beloved, enormous, tallest, and softest son, uh, Nikola Jokic, <laughs> yes. Big Honey himself, um, is now the most valuable player of the National Basketball Association. Um, you know, it's uh, it's something that I I think I sort of, we sort of knew was like on the horizon for a couple years now. Um, Right. That he sort of possessed the unique skill set and the role on a team that was sort of ascending that leads people to get MVP votes. You know, this was sort of the similar, a very different game and a, a very different look, but sort of like with Giannis, that you know, he was clearly a very talented player, but once he sort of unlocked that next step in his game and his team got really good and he was the leader of, you know, I think they were the one seed in the East, was it two years ago when he first won his first MVP? Yeah. Um, that it was clear, like, all right, this is, there's a, not only is there a narrative here, but, you know, he deserves it. And I think that that's something that Jokic has been growing for, for a couple years, um, ever since people first started to realize that the, the tall, weird uh, Serbian man who looks like he's playing in flip-flops is actually very good. Um I know mm-hmm. I personally always think back to, like, I knew he was really good, but the moment that I remember as being like, this guy is a, a next-level player, and it's the right. weirdest thing, but KP, I don't know if you remember this. There was a time where he was inbounding the ball in the half court, and um, they called a timeout, or he was hit, or something like that. And he's just sort of like falling backwards, but he's still ready to inbound the ball and it's over his head. And he just kind of like chucks it towards the basket, not really caring. And it goes right in from outside. Like the, the play was dead, so it didn't count. But it was the most absurd bucket I've ever seen, which it wasn't a bucket. But I was like, oh, man, like this is a real, this is a real talent. This is not just, yep. this is not nothing. Um, I. I think what's interesting and what the one and done era is kind of, you know, it's warped our thinking in this regard. You know, we, I, I'm not saying I gave up on Giannis. I don't think anyone was dumb enough to quote unquote give up on a guy like Giannis. But, you know, by the time, like, you know, even before he won his MVP, those couple of years before, he was still only like, you know, 23 or 24 years old, you know, which in almost any other sport, you'd say, oh, well, you know, we got to give him time to develop. But 
the one and done era has kind of warped our thinking in terms of when these guys are supposed to be fully ready. Like uh, Bamani Jones made a great point on his podcast the other day. It's like, you know, when James Worthy left North Carolina to go to the draft, he was already like 21 or 22 years old, like as a rookie, like he was, he was ready to roll. Like as soon as he stepped, you know, into the facility, but guys now it's like, like how how old was Jokic when he got drafted? He was like nineteen, right, or whatever the. Uh, I think so. I believe he was the fifteen draft. Let me look that up right now. I think he was fourteen or fifteen draft, and he was nineteen years old. And he was the fourteen draft. He was born in February of ninety five, so he would have been, if it was June yep. of twenty fourteen, he would have just turned nineteen. Yep, which means that you know he's just turning twenty six this June. Uh, and he just won his first MVP, and it's like, wow, it took him seven years to become an MVP. And it's like, he's only 26. He's got probably at least like six or seven decent years, ahead, six or seven great years, excuse me, ahead of him. Probably a good chunk of decent years after that. Um, and, yeah, and we just, and... just got to remember to give these guys time. They're so young. They're babies. Yeah, and they're, they're still – often their bodies are still growing and changing. Like the, one of the reasons – you know, obviously, as a hardly an expert in basketball and definitely not an expert in, you know, human physiology, Jokic has, like, just looked different this season. He looked like he was in better shape all year. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that was always interesting about him before is that he would, like, lose weight and gain weight. And although he looked slower when he gained weight, he could sort of bang around in the post better. It looked like when he lost weight, he lost some of his oomph, you know, down at the rim. But... uh it's like he this year sort of played as strong as he had before while also being, you know, more athletic. Again, he I think to quote Big Honey himself, you know, he plays slow because he is slow. You know, he knows that he's not the best athlete and that he never will be even, you know, close to the best athlete on the court. So he has to play mm-hmm. a style that suits him well. Um but yeah, I mean, most of us, when you're 26, that's, that may not be your physical prime. You know, usually by 30, you're starting to go down. But 26 to 28 is a lot of times when our best shape is and, you know, when we best perform. So it's possible that next year he gets a little stronger, a little leaner. He could be even better. Yeah. And he's got, obviously, he, he's great. He's got amazing footwork. He's such a gifted passer. But it's really just a joy watching him because a, a man that large – should not, you know, I don't want to say they shouldn't be as comfortable in their bodies, but, you know, it's he looks like he moves around very naturally. And even the times where he does look clumsy, it almost looks planned, you know? Like, it takes so much to knock that man over. And he's just like, he just walks into a room, sits down, acts like he's like everyone else. Like, no, sir, you're a seven-foot, you know, 270-pound, um, you know, Kaiju. According, <laughs> according to Wikipedia, he according to Wikipedia, he plays at two eighty four. Two eighty four. And it's obviously just through the course of an NBA season and being the level of athlete he is, that probably fluctuates between two seventy and three hundred throughout the regular season, right? Like yeah, a guy like no. a guy like a guy like him could put on thirty pounds probably pretty easily in about three weeks if he wanted to. Or he could like lose fifteen in about a month if he really wanted to. That's that frame can do a lot, and he's done a lot in the frame. But um, yeah, it was the <laughs> what was the thing? I mean, there's a couple of quotes about him that I that I always remember. So I, I'm going to take before we move on. We'll move on to college football soon, but I just want to get a couple 
Jokic love points out there, um, which is that I think one of the best uh, comps for him, I mentioned this earlier, in in, in addition to the uh, Draymond Green shoots like he's wearing a, a full backpack, which is perfect, <laughs> yes. is that Nikola Jokic plays basketball like he's wearing flip-flops. If you watch him, just imagine he's wearing flip-flops and everything he does makes a lot more sense. Um, I saw someone once say that he hits at least three shots a game that if you made in a pickup game would get you taken outside and beaten up because they just shouldn't be possible. It shouldn't be allowed. Like you would I mean, be clearly cheating. Yeah, I mean, that was the third quarter of that uh, Blazers game six. It was just like the, no man should just be doing that. And like credit to him that he got it done, but it's like how are you, you know, just – you took a gather step and then one – you're on your right foot. He's right-handed, so going off your right foot is a little unnatural. You're fading out of bounds on the left side of the basket about, you know, 12 to 14 feet away, and it just swishes it. Like, no, I would, you know, if we were of equal statures, I would kick his ass for that. And, yeah. <laughs> and he and, just did it in a, in you know, in an elimination playoff game, in a closeout playoff game, I should say. So, yeah. Yeah, and if you're, if you're ever wondering, you know, how he got so big, so, like, large and then you know work down is that the biggest one of he said one of he he said one of the biggest transformations that he had to change when he came from serbia to the united states was that he no longer put down two two liters of soda a day that was just like his standard that's how he hydrated when he was in serbia he just put down two two liters of soda every single day do you know what type of metabolism you have to have and how skilled at basketball you need to be to do that and still get drafted into the nba (laughs) Drafted in the second round as, again, the first ever second round draft pick to ever win MVP. Ever? Yeah. I, I'm, so. I'm, I'm happy for him. Happy for Nuggets fans. You know, I, I, even as a Timberwolves fan, I don't really, you know, rock with the Nuggets that much. But, I mean, he, he's such a fun player to watch. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for him. And, you know, hopefully that Sun Series goes a long time because those are two really fun teams to watch when they go against each other. I hope um, so as well. After game one, I'm not sure it's going to go that long, but we can hope. <laughs> we can hope. So, Ross, moving on, um, obviously, lots of news to talk about. We, we're we a little blessed now because normally this period between draft and media days is a little rough um, content-wise. We're really just scraping the barrel here. But it is uh, the first time recruits can go on campus in 15 months, um, and we've seen a lot of just people taking those visits. You see guys with – you know, crazy summer visit schedules that they normally wouldn't have had in a regular year. You see the number one prospect in the 2021 class still taking his five official visits because I guess he doesn't have to enroll until August. Um, JT Tuomalalo, I think that's the pronunciation. I could be wrong. Forgive me if I'm butchering it. Um, JTT, come on the show. Um, And it's really just kind of been the wild west out there. Obviously, you know, you're excited for the kids and you know, official visits, unofficial visits, it's really, I have to imagine, it's really, really cool to be a high school prospect and just go on campus and put on the uniform. You take the pics for Instagram. You meet all the coaches. You take the tour of the facilities. Uh, and these guys, they just haven't really been allowed to do that ever, especially for these rising seniors. You can start this process the summer before your junior year, and they just haven't been able to do it whatsoever obviously you can go on campus on your own volition but you're not really going to be allowed in the facility and you're not really going to get the full visit experience um so ross my my biggest question to you um 
who is dropping the biggest bag right now in your mind out of any, any school, most likely SEC, but who do you think is just, you know, really, really dedicating themselves to the bag game in this recruiting open period? Mm, that's a tough one, you know, because the money's out there to be had. Um, you know, I uh, – I'm going to hope it's Alabama, but I know that they don't always need it. Sometimes they actually get by on that, you know, quote unquote, recruiting for the right reasons. Right. Um, but I don't know, it's probably Georgia. I feel like they're, they're probably hitting it pretty hard right now. I feel like they, they came through, you know, Georgia famously, you know, committed to opening up businesses very early on. So I feel like a lot of the, the people, the bag men in Georgia have the money because people were going to the their businesses and, and spending money. So uh, I'm going to have to give this one to the dogs. Yeah, I'm thinking a combo of them, A&M, and Florida, simply because, as you said, those states did just open up early in the pandemic. Um, and I don't I know. Guess, what's, what's oil looking like right now? I, I don't know. I think the price of crude is skyrocketing, man, if these gas prices are any indicator. Uh, I think the price of crude is um, a little crazy right now. So if that's the case, then, you know. Uh, Aggies number it, one class, here we come. Aggies are headed there. I, I made the joke last year when, um, you know, it was between a and and Notre Dame for the number four spot. I don't think the price of crude was that high at the time of um, the selection show. So, at a, so obviously Notre Dame got it, but I don't know if the price of the price per barrel were, I don't know, $3, $4 more, it may have been an Alabama a and rematch. And it's really a, really a shame, you know. It just sounds like the, the Aggie donor class needs to diversify a little bit, you know, get some, get some solar-powered donors in there, maybe some wind-powered donors. Ross, I want you to do me a favor one day. It doesn't have to be right now, but soon. I, I want you to go to a Texas businessman, uh, look him in his eyes, and tell him that he needs to diversify from crude oil. Um, and tell me how that goes for you. Well, you know, once I once I have all my affairs in order, and you know, I'm I'm ready to to make a commitment to uh, you know giving my giving my possessions to my loved ones. I think I'll give it go ahead and give that a try. Right, right. So uh, a friend of the show, Jack Curtin, has requested to speak. So we're going to bring him on here for a little bit. Uh, Jack, what is going on, man? How are you doing? Oh, excuse me. Uh, that's Jack Curtin, Master of Business Administration. Uh, yes, want to make thank sure you we're getting... for uh, uh, calling me by my official title. Uh, uh, make sure we're getting my, our my titles right here. Title. It, it was really <laughs> nice to uh, put those three little letters on my name, uh, or after my name on LinkedIn. So, um, yeah. It's yeah, a I'm doing well. Good. So, um, yeah, just, what's up? How, how, how have you been? Just overall, I know you just got your MBA, um, and obviously, college football news is somewhat active for uh, June eighth. So, just kind of tell us how you're feeling. What are you thinking? Uh, we're going to get into playoff expansion here in a little bit, but before that, just uh, wh- wh- where is your brain at right now, Jack? Uh, so, two things. Uh, one, I just want to chime in real quick. Speaking of oil. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Jones had that whole thing <laughs> of uh, he had that whole thing during the Texas snowstorms where he made like some ridiculous amount of money for like overcharging people. And didn't he have a grandson that went to Arkansas? So dark horse candidate for spending money. They have a new coach. Um, Arkansas could be starting to 
restore something resembling their old program. John so Stevens Jones. John Stevens Jones is the quarterback you're thinking of. Um, yes. I think he's Stevens. Like, I think Steven Jones is the actual acting president or GM or something like that of the Cowboys. And John Steven is. Um, oh, excuse me. Apparently, John Steven Jones is. Um, okay, no, I think he's just named after his dad because this man looks 22 years old and he is not the EVP and CEO of the Cowboys <laughs> right right now. Uh, <laughs> yet, yet. Yeah, yet. Um, um, he, looks like he'll be a redshirt junior in 2021. So we, we, good for him. But Jerry Jones uh, is a noted uh, Arkansas booster. You know, they, they play a game or they have played a game at Jerry World every year uh, for mm-hmm. a long time because he went they, there, right? They they played the game against A&M for three years. And then when A&M joined the SEC, they just did a home and home for two seasons. And it's been in Jerry World ever since. And honestly, between Tyson Chicken and Jerry Jones, Arkansas has like a couple of pillars in terms of booster classes that a lot of Drop the bag, that is how they have been at least, uh, you know, last few years, notwithstanding, that's how they've treaded water over the last like 60 years. Well, not 60 years because Jerry Jones didn't really have the money yet, but I would say over the past 30 or so years, that's kind of how they've been above water because they just, um, <laughs> how they get kids to Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hard to imagine a world where Jerry Jones does not have money because like, the entire time I've been alive, Jerry Jones has literally just been the epitome of FU money. Like, oh, I own the Dallas Cowboys for fun. Like, yeah, he was fine. He was just making all that money in oil. And then he bought the Cowboys, threatened to sue the NFL if they didn't let him sell Miller Light in the stadium, even though um, <laughs> Anheuser Busch is a partner of the NFL. He just yeah. he does what he wants. And he, he's chilling, does what he wants. I think they were one of the only teams in the NFL to have fans in the stadium this year. I think they ended up at like 25% capacity, which was absurd for like last October. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> but, you know, good, good for Jerry. Good for Jerry. So, folks, I, I did want to mention, you know, obviously the news broke today that, you know, discussions have been had and it, it's looking like 12 teams is the uh, leading candidate right now for a college football playoff expansion. And I'm going to come out and say I'm not a big fan of expansion as if you don't, A, cut the regular season, or B, pay the players. Um, I think Aaron Suttles, you know, um, he's uh, on the Alabama beat for the Athletic, made a great point. It's like we don't need to make college football NFL junior because 12 teams is just what the NFL does now just across two conferences. We don't need to do that. College football is fun on its own. Um, and it it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense to say, oh, let's just give these two teams buys. And it's like, okay, so there's incentive for winning more games. But at that point, you are just, you know, throwing all pretense of amateurism out of the window, which I personally don't mind. But you can't just keep banging the amateurism drum and make your kids play an NFL schedule. Uh, because let's say a team has a road, a G5 team has a road game at Hawaii, and an NCAA rule is that if you play a game at Hawaii, you can add an extra regular season game, since a lot of your fans probably can't make that Hawaii game. Uh, so let's say a G5 team, um, they play at Hawaii, they win, so they go 13-0, and they make this newfangled playoff, uh, but they're a G5 team, so they're not a top four 
seed. Are you going to make them play 16 games in a year? Like, is Cincinnati or Houston or Boise going to play 16 games in a season while Alabama can just go 10-2, and not win their conference, um, and just play only 14 or whatever? Is that, That'd be 17 the, games, wouldn't it? It would be thir- – oh, I forgot about the conference championship game. Good call. Well, no, awesome. but but if you're if you don't have that bye, then let's say if you consider the top four teams get a bye, then it's essentially – uh, your your wild card weekend to you know borrow from the NFL, and then it's a three round playoff if this team makes it to the final. Oh goodness! So we're talking about a thirteen game regular season for just a G five team. Let's like, say Cincinnati plays out of Hawaii and they win, they go thirteen zero in regular season. Conference championship puts them at fourteen and zero. They're still number five because the committee hates them, um, and then they'd have to win four games. So we're talking about a, a maximum of eighteen games. But 16 for most teams. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure how fair that is to make anyone win four games to win a national championship. And I know in college football, national championships aren't real, quote-unquote. Um, but, you know, to, to have a team make that claim, no. Four games is way too many. Three is way too many, in my opinion. I, I'm, I'm a fan of sticking out four if we don't even – if we don't contract. But – yeah, it's uh, I'm not okay with this, fellows. How how are we feeling on your end? I've spoken a lot. <laughs> I mean, the biggest argument against it has to be that how many of the games have been decided by like 21 points or more? Like, if if it was, you know, somewhat close in the current situation that we have, I'd argue for expansion. But the one four game or more often than not, the one four game every year is just a giant blowout or or if it's not a giant blowout, it's fourteen points the entire game and then becomes a shootout where it still stays at fourteen points and it's just it like what is adding a eight more teams to the to the mix what is that going to do it's It's going to pump more money into the system, but the kids aren't going to see any of that. So, so I, I agree with you, KP, where you have to pay the players and take one of those, like, Northwest Arkansas State games off the schedule. Yeah. Which, which only hurts those smaller programs, too. Yeah, bingo. I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at the scores right here, and I'm just going to list off some of the scores in the first round um, where the higher seed won. And keep in mind, this is across um, 14 total games. So we the first first of all the first playoff game ever was fifty nine twenty the first <laughs> the first that Rose Bowl um, between Oregon and Florida State and then we had the very next year we had Clemson that's over the Jameis Oklahoma. Ghost game right it is the Jameis Ghost game uh, and then we had Clemson over Oklahoma thirty seven seventeen and that night Alabama over Michigan State thirty eight zero very next year Alabama beat Washington twenty four seven which if you watch that game uh, that was not a seventeen point game not that close. Um, Washington pretty much got sat on um, for the entire second half. Um, and then Clemson beat Ohio State 31-0. Um, the next year was pretty exciting, and I think Alabama was favored, but they were still the fourth seed, and they beat Clemson. And then you had that Rose Bowl between Georgia and Oklahoma. Uh, the next season, Alabama beats Oklahoma by 11, but it's kind of just like, you know, when you pit your little brother's trying to run towards you and you just put his your hand on his head. Uh, and then Clemson beats Notre Dame 30-3. to uh, Next year, I, I will say that that Alabama Oklahoma <laughs> game, it never, 
got that close at the end, but it, they, there was a scare to it. It was a, it was an interesting game. I will give there that was, game a little bit of credit. There was a brief scare, yes, but they never truly threatened. Um, and the, but the next year, LSU beat Oklahoma sixty-three twenty-eight. I remember I was watching that um, the Cotton Bowl that year between Penn State and Memphis in a bar in Hoboken. Uh, I walk over to the next bar. I find out the LSU game starting. I walk over to the next bar. I sit down and it's fourteen nothing, and LSU's driving. I'm like what the? Fuck? <laughs> and then obviously this year Alabama beats Notre Dame thirty-one fourteen when Notre Dame scored a touchdown under a minute to go. So, uh, do we want more of that? Alabama is going to continue to get number one recruiting classes. Ohio State, uh, Clemson, Oklahoma, and LSU are going to continue to out-recruit the rest of the country. What happens when, I don't know, a 9-3 and three Kansas State limps in as a 12 seed? Are they going to get sent to Valhalla? Is that, is that going to be better? I, I do think one of the things that is clear here in these playoffs, in these playoff scores – is that we've had a few, a very small handful of teams very clearly separate themselves. Mm-hmm. It is really, it's really three teams. It's Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. I'm sorry to Oklahoma fans. They've had some real good games, but they haven't really been on that same tier when it comes to the playoff, even though it, it looks like they should be during the regular season. And, you know, yep. one year it was LSU who, you know, just was body bagging people. But I think your 5-12 game may be more interesting than you give them credit for. Because last year, if I'm not mistaken, I think 5-12 would have been A&M versus Coastal Carolina. Now, I think A&M was a very good team. I think they were interesting, but I think that gives us the opportunity to see things we wouldn't see normally. Now, maybe the answer is that, uh, I don't remember what they called themselves, the big red line or whatever it was that that, that Ohio, that Texas A&M offensive line was of all those those monster dudes. The Maroon Goons. Just, the Maroon Goons. Thank you. Maybe they just run over the Chanticleers, but um, I think your five twelves and your six uh, elevens and whatnot. I think those are going to be more interesting than we give them credit for. It's possible that by the semifinal, you know, we're getting to these these games that we're used to, where the semifinal scores are decided by 30 and then you just end up with the same people in the in the playoffs but I think college football is a is a variable enough game that if you put them on the court uh, or if you put them on the on the grass <laughs> um you know some weird stuff might happen I think we could get some interesting first round games a couple we'll probably get a lot of blowouts in the second round when you get those top four seeds in there um but you run the chance of some team not preparing properly because some one seed, you know, or let's say the two seed is Ohio State and they don't take whoever it is seriously and they lose in a fluke game. Um, and, you know, then all of a sudden, whole thing's up for grabs because you have a semifinal yeah. of a four versus a seven or whatever that may be. And it's like, all right, now this could be interesting. Now it may be that that seven is, you know, a 10 and two Kansas State that happened in, they won their uh, Big 12 championship game. They go to the national championship game and they do get sent to Valhalla. That is probably what's going to happen unless you end up with one and two in the championship game. And, you know, but also good for them because right now there is no path to a national championship unless you are a blue blood who had a good year. 
It just simply does not exist. I think the path does exist, Ross. We, you just, it, it's obviously, if I think if, and again, I say this as an Alabama fan, so you guys bear with me. If anybody's in Tuscaloosa that's not Nick Saban right now, I think we're singing a different tone. It's just kind of bad luck that the playoff decided to do this just as Nick Saban was perfecting his craft, right? Because basically the last <laughs> the last step for Alabama was, all right, we need to get more athletic at the linebacker spot. Um, and they just did, and they've just – the run from, you know, around that time, around 2014-15 to now has just been incredible. It's, you know, even more impressive than his original run. Um, but so 512 would have been, like you said, A&M, Coastal Carolina. I'm looking at the rankings now. 611 would have been Oklahoma versus Indiana. Uh, 710 looks like Florida versus Iowa State. And 8-9 is Cincinnati, Georgia. Um, and those are very interesting matchups. Uh, and look, I, I'm not saying this wouldn't be interesting. I am a fan of the sport. I love watching Cincinnati, these Georgia play. played each other, and that was a great game. It was a great game. Yeah, I'm not saying these are all – obviously, if eight plays nine, that's, you know, more often than not, that's going to be a great game just in the midst of just how these team seasons have played out. However, this is just exploited labor with more steps. Like, it's just <laughs> – 100%. 100%. That's my, that's my biggest issue with it. Not that it won't be entertaining and in the – you know, if the sole purpose of this is to find a true national champion – I think this gets us probably a little bit closer to that, but what's the point, man? Uh, we just – I don't care about the TV. I don't work for ESPN. I don't work for Fox. I don't work for CBS. I don't care about the ratings, you know? And like, <laughs> yeah. At what point do we start prioritizing and saying, like, hey, maybe this 19-year-old should not be playing this contact sport where at any moment he could, like – his brain could be split into for six months straight. Like <laughs> – if, if a team ends up playing 16 games, what's the argument against paying them? Because the NFL plays 16 games too, right? Exactly. A, <laughs> there's no argument against paying the players once it gets to that point. And we're already at 15, which is obviously that's only if the best teams go that far. But, I mean, I, I don't think a guy should be punished uh, because that has a trickle-down effect. If, let's say, there's a running back that only gets 15 carries a game, but – his team played 16 games that season. That's just, you know, an extra 40 carries, and that may make him get drafted lower because the yeah. body can't have that wear and tear on the body. It's, it's a trickle-down effect that I'm not sure I'm okay with as a whole. No, I, I get that, KP, and that, that raises an interesting question, which I think both of you have sort of hinted at already. Um, but I'm very curious to hear how you guys sort of make this decision because this is something that I've struggled with a lot, which is that it is very clear what, you know, the powers that be in college football prioritize, what they care about, and why they are making the decisions that they are making. So, and that's not the players. We're, we are, we're all aware of that. But at a certain point, you know, at which point do you say it is our responsibility to, as fans, as people with a, a podcast, you know, they're not a, not a huge one, but like, you know, we have – some semblance of a platform. Here we are in locker room. There are theoretically people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, but there will be tomorrow, at least. <laughs> there, there will be tomorrow. We know that. You know, we've seen the there are a couple hey, Amanda. Of listening. We, th- we, we thank we, you we, very much. We love Amanda. Um, great friend of the pod, Amanda Wolos. Um, yes, we do appreciate everyone in the audience and everyone that listens later. But, um, you know, at what point do we say the only answer is doing something to protect the players? 
Or is it, we know they're never going to protect the players. So what we should do is pick, we should think about, you know, what would be the most fun or what would be the most like, which system do we want them to take on knowing their priorities or is it, you know, do we have to just sort of force them to try to modernize and accept other people's priorities, you know? Because I struggle yeah. with saying, like, I want, you know, KP, you like the plus one system where you play all of the bowls, and then after the bowl games, you pick the top two teams. It's absurd that some lower-seeded team that might make a run would play 17 games. That's insane. They shouldn't do that. They should cut games in the regular season, and they should play the players. They should do both of those things. Those are both important. But at the same time, I know that's not what's driving their decision. So I kind of want the 12-team playoff. I kind of want to see what it would be like to have home games. I kind of want to see what it would be like to offer some lower teams an actual chance. A team like Indiana would have an actual chance in this in this situation. You know, they were the nine seed. They could they could win some games and, and end up in a good spot that, you know, they probably wouldn't normally otherwise. And a team like Cincinnati and a team like Coastal Carolina would actually make this playoff that they never have a chance of sniffing the top four seeds. So I does, does the, do those thoughts cross your mind? Is that something that you guys uh, struggle with? Have you have you made a decision or do you have a, a strong feeling on that? They um, do. Yeah, go go on, Jack. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I That definitely makes sense, Ross. And again, as a fan of the sport, I would like, you know, a better system because obviously this is imperfect. I'd like a better system to determine the national champion. But I, I wanted to highlight one of my favorite stories about Bear Bryant. Is, I think it was 73. It was like either 73 or 78. You know, one of those 70s championships. You know, one of the ones you won with black people. And he – this is like at some point in January, like uh, January 4th or 5th or whatever. It's after their bowl game. And there's a team meeting for players that will be returning the next year. And he gets like a fax, he walks into the room, and he tells the team, all right, guys, um, the Associated Press and the coaches poll, um, both have you ranked number one, and you are the national champions. And they clapped for like 30 seconds, and then they just got on to like the meeting. And that was it, right? And it, it, was, it, was, a special, it was a special season because they played – you know, the regular season, they won the SEC. They made the SEC proud in their bowl game. And that was it. There was no, like, you, you play to win championships. And obviously, that's why people go to places like Alabama, Clemson, uh, Ohio State. That, that's you know, why we're doing all of this. But it's like there's been so much emphasis put on who is the national champion that it's like we've kind of lost sight of what makes college football fun. Like for me, last year, if Alabama, like if there was no playoff, if Alabama just goes through and they win the SEC and they go and they beat Notre Dame by 17 in the bowl game, and that's it, perfect. I don't, I don't need further validation than that. That's awesome. Great, great year, everybody. Even Oklahoma, who you know finished eight and two, they had a couple early losses, but they rallied. They won the Big 12 and they decimated Florida in the bowl game. That should be an amazing season. And in any other year, in any other era, excuse me, in college football. That's just like, hell yeah, Boomer Sooner. We did it, guys. We had a great year. We won the Big 12, and we killed Florida in a bowl game. But no, it's like, damn, we finished six. Can you imagine what would happen if we got in four? And that's just, you know, <laughs> I, I, look, I, we're not going back. We're already at four, and we're never – Yeah. We, we we can't turn the book back to a previous page. But, you know, it's just that, – that kind of stuff makes college football fun, just enjoying the season – 
and going to the bowl game and just seeing how you stack up against another great team. But now it's like, I don't know, Georgia finished number nine and they beat a really good Cincinnati team in a bowl game in their backyard and like no one cares about it. Right. Yeah. No, no what like I remember distinctly seeing the the final score. It was a close game, if I remember correctly, between Cincinnati and Georgia. I was like, oh, okay. Like good for good for them. Like I, I could not have cared less because like Saban at the beginning of the college football playoff put it best where he was like, I mean, none of these other games really have none of the other bowl games will have any meaning anymore because we will be focused on the three bowl games, the two semifinals and then the, the national championship game, whatever the two semifinals are, the Peach Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Orange Bowl, whatever they happen to be. So, like, if you don't make those two games, no one cares um, on, on a national scale. Obviously, your local fan base, the, the Georgia fans and the Bearcats fans are, are going to be excited about that game, but how much more excited would they be for the 8-9 game in the, the college football playoff? Um, but Ross, you, you brought up a point about, um, like how consumption has changed or like basically the, your question about like what the system was, how we should like define it and, you know, not to keep hammering that this point of like, Oh, I was already in the football dorm, but like when I was there, like you, it, it, it wasn't often, but seeing a player get very injured and like having conversations with them and talking with them and like being like, yeah, I'm not sure like how I'll recover from this or like they're staring six to eight months of rehab in the face. Like that took a lot of the wind out of my sails of my fandom. And like, I just, I cannot look myself in the face and be like, Oh yeah, this guy is doing this for, zero money above the table but like zero money and he might not be able to walk for six months straight like i don't want more of this so like obviously that's not everybody's but like i feel like we have made college football into this huge spectacle of like where we we forget that it is still like 18 to 21 year olds most of the time like no one would expect a, a normal 18 year old who like can't walk for six months to still be like upbeat going to classes and all this stuff. Like people unenroll from college all the time for like major accidents, like tearing your ACL and you can't walk. So you can't walk to class. That makes sense to unenroll. And these guys are just expected to like, you have members of their fan base actively telling them like, Hey, just walk it off. You're fine. So yeah. To, yeah. No, go on, Jack. Sorry, I'm just like, agreeing with you. <laughs> no, that was that was that was kind of the end of my my statement. I didn't really know how to get out of that point, but like it just like <laughs> to answer Ross your question, like what I want out of the system is definitely not what's best for the the masses of like yeah, it would be cool. It would be super fun to have like this 12 team playoff and all these intense games, but just because those games are not in the play. Like there has to be some way of like making those games interesting without necessarily making it like a 12 team playoff and making these 18 year olds have the same schedule as an NFL player who's getting paid a number probably with two commas in it. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Ross, I Ross, Ross, why do you hate the labor? Why do you hate the labor force, Ross? You know, uh, KP, there's a lot of reasons. Um, but no, I, Ross Fitzgerald over here. <laughs> yeah, me, me, me and Pat Fitzgerald are, are, are big, big union busters. Um, you know me. But no, that's, uh, that's a really interesting point, Jack. But like, you know, as, you know, we all went to, big well the three of us went to the same big football school but you know the norm the other hosts of this podcast normally they went to other big football schools where you know you go and you see these players on campus and you may have a group project with them or something but jack you did have a little more interaction with these guys on a day-to-day basis on a more personal level you know i know not everyone may talk to their ra so much but it is there is a bit more interaction there that i feel like is allows you you know i struggle with this because i've become uh, you know, pretty resigned to this idea that, you know, there is, no, that there's no better, you know, no, every bad thing that sort of already happened in this, in this sport, there's no going back, you know, there's no way to put the genie back in the bottle in terms of, you know, how they prioritize money, how they prioritize TV rights and all this stuff and what they want out of it. So I, I struggle with that to, to sort of, you know, as important as it is, like, is there, do either of you guys see a path forward to protecting the players from ever expansion of schedules, ever expansion of needs? Um, you know, honestly, not to, you know, give Pat Fitzgerald a heart attack if he's listening, short of unionization of the players? Name, name, image, and likeness will go a long way, I think. And it's more so than just, I think everyone's first thought is, Car commercial, like, wow, everyone's just going to get money from car dealerships in, in those commercials. And, yeah, that's going to happen in Alabama 1,000%. But, you know, in other places, it's like a, a brand will just be like, hey, can you get, you know, we'll pay you like 75 bucks for this one social media post. And that's, and, and that's it, which, you know, and even on a small scale, that's just, that helps the player in numerous ways more than now. Because right, like Aaron Foster has a great story. He says, you know, there's after one game, he rushed for like 120 when he was at Tennessee, rushed for like 120 yards and two touchdowns. They had like a huge win, and he gets back to his dorm and he opens the fridge and there's nothing in it. And then and he calls his coach, like coach, I got nothing to eat. And obviously this is illegal, but he's told the story. It's like his coach just like bought him and his roommate like, you know, fifty dollars worth of fast food or whatever just to last him a few days until you know they got back into the facility on Monday morning. And it's just, it's small stuff like that. It's like, hey, um, name image and likeness will just like help feed a guy for a weekend. And that's not, you know, saving your knees from an extra two to three games in a season, but it's more than what you're getting now. A hundred percent. A similar story, like uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, he had um, – I can't remember if it was Players Tribune or Undefeated. It was one of those um, articles. But as soon as he got drafted, he, like, posted this um, article talking about, like, his experience at Alabama. And he, he made the point where he was like, I slept on the floor at Alabama because it was, like, what I was used to sleeping on. So, like, it felt weird being up elevated. And it's like, how can you, like, and he did that so that he could, like, make a better life for himself. And it's like, how can you not like root for a guy like that and like just 
want to help him out. And there's there there has to be a situation where like Alabama football was making a hundred million dollars like in donations, like the NIL, and, and there has to be a better way to better help kids out of situations like that. Yeah, who was it that um, JP? You'll probably remember this. I want to say it was mm-hmm. Campbell Walker, but it was there was a a player like during an NCAA tournament run who talked about you know like scraping together change to try to get pizza from the pizza place around the corner because he like went to bed hungry more nights than not. He, it, it was, was like, um, I it, am, it, 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 yeah. Sorry, going Ross. He was just gonna say he's like I'm on national TV now, like making all these headlines. Like when the reporters came to his locker, he was like the only thing I want. He's like, yeah, great game. The only thing I want to talk about is that I'm starving right now. It was um, actually – so you've got your um, 2000s UConn guards mixed up. There were a lot of them, uh, but it was actually Shabazz Napier um, in 2014. I remember this. He just – it was like on the podium after the national championship game. He's just like, you know – he had a lot to say. He's like, you know, you guys banned us from the tournament last year for something dumb that happened before any of us were even recruits. Um, and you banned us from the tournament last year. Now you're celebrating us, telling us what a story. And now it's like I have to go back to my dorm where there's no food, right? Uh, so it's <laughs> – and that's – and again, this is the most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament. He's like, yep, so just made it, might need tonight, might not. I'm not sure yet. I don't know. And, that, and there's stories like that all across every sport, really. So if – Again, if name, image, and likeness can help out people just a little bit or at least open the door to it, then I'm completely, um, you know, in favor of it. Not to go all libertarian of it on it, but I hope the NCAA just doesn't have caps on it because that would be a little dumb because there's, again, God, I'm, I hate I'm going to say this phrase, but it is a free market. If a car dealership wants to pay a 19-year-old $25,000 for a commercial, that's a horrible investment on their part. But let, let, you should let them do it. What's the, what's the harm? What is the worst thing that can happen with that? Yeah, a the kid, only thing a, that I struggle with with a kid, a kid can pay off a, a kid can pay off a car, right? That's the right. Yeah, that's the worst, Wor- thing, worst that thing that can happen is he actually pays for that nice car he's driving. Um, <laughs> but no, the 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 thing that I struggle with with name, image, image, and likeness, which is like such an easy call that it's insane it hasn't happened yet and you know july 1st some states is going to start kicking in which is great but the one thing i struggle with that is i it makes me nervous that some people will start pointing to it and saying look they have something now now we don't need to provide them health insurance or any of the other necessities that these schools should be providing these players that are making them all this money you know it's they're as it happens and as it continues to grow, I have a small bit of fear that it'll push back some of the efforts to get other uh, concessions is not the right word, but like other elements of fairness really <laughs> from these schools for these players. You know, I remember I read an article last summer and I couldn't tell you who it was, but like, these players are covered while they're at school. You know, all this stuff happens, you know, you get hurt, you get rehabbed by the school. That's all great. But like if you, and again, not a doctor, but if you tear your ACL or have some major injury, you know, even to your body, not just to your head, chances are a couple of years down the road, you're going to have another surgery. You're going to need another surgery to clean up the scar tissue or clean up something that got loose. 
You know, I remember reading an article, there was a player who he was like, you know, I'm like seven years out of college and I've had three or four pretty major surgeries to clean up, you know, to just sort of deal with the after effects of the injury I had in college. And it was great that in college they fixed the issue. He had surgeries, you know, all this stuff at the school. He's like, but like when I leave, I don't have lifetime insurance. Like the, the NFL has lifetime health insurance for these players because they know that a majority of the issues that they are going to face health wise for the rest of their lives, even after they leave the NFL, are directly caused by what they were doing on the football field. So it is their responsibility to continue covering that. And that's the kind of thing that I can easily see schools being like, well, they have name, image, and likeness now. Why do they need health insurance or anything like that? It, it goes back to the – God, I can't going to say this phrase again. But you know how when you know we were talking – the primaries were unfolding and the writing kind of was on the wall that Joe Biden would win the nomination? Um, it's like, okay, well, we're just going to push him left. And – Again, that may have been a foolish thought at the time, but Joe Biden has done a couple of things that I would not fully expect. He's also done a lot of things that I completely expected from him. But it's, but it's like okay, name him. Like, this was the first step. Like I, they had nothing before this except like under the table payments. But now it's like okay, if we can get NIL passed, that will start. And then you know, if a generation grows up under NIL they will eventually realize, well, hey, you know, why don't we have, you know, why can't we unionize or at least do something resembling a union? And then eventually that will happen because it came under a generation of kids that had NIL. And then there's a generation of people under NIL and unionization. It's like, why am I not getting health insurance? Like, Jack, you may even remember this. Uh, Mac Wilson, um, he, it was in the 2017 season, and he got hurt during the LSU game that year. And two weeks later, two or three weeks later, we were playing Auburn. And he was on the field, um, looked hobbled, but, you know, played the whole game and then played in the playoff. He says after the season, he they, he had, like, something holding bones in his foot together yeah. for the last three games of the season. And it's like, it was not healed. The foot was broken, but it was like, it was being held together. And it's like, let's say something, the worst happens, something terrible happens to Mac Wilson. Well, where does he go from there? He probably has hobbled all of the next football season and, you know, it's just not the same player. And he doesn't go pro. Like, he's he's entering his third year as an NFL linebacker now, which is great for him. That wouldn't have happened if, like, one bad thing happens or one thing goes left that should have gone right. Yeah, um, I mean, a lineman takes an extra step left when he's trying to come up the A-gap and, like, his foot is in shambles and he mm-hmm. can't walk. Um, which, also speaking of Mac Wilson, I just want to throw out there the fact that his interception in the 2018 Alabama LSU game deflated Tiger Stadium more than any stadium that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was probably the greatest football game I've ever attended. Just want to throw that out there. Thank you, Mac Wilson. Please come on the show. Yes, Mac, come on the show if you're listening. We love you. Um, also need to get your photographer's phone number because um, they do a great job. Um, folks, we, we had planned on hitting a couple other things, but obviously as the world's most ethical college football podcast, that doesn't always happen. But um, we're running up on time here. So before we leave, uh, do you guys have any parting shots or last words for our loyal listeners? Um. 
Sorry if I bugged your ears. This is easily the most I've ever talked on any media outlet, so uh, thanks for listening, and I apologize if I, I was bad. We love you, Jack. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I uh, my parting shot is that um, you should support the players in college athletics. It is not a question. Most people who are listening to Banjo College Football, the Internet's most ethical college football podcast, know that. But if it ever crosses your mind to question whether or not you should support the players, you should always support the players. Always. I I can't imagine that a large portion of this demographic is like, "Eh, no, they're getting enough. I I do not think that is the the listener base to this podcast. I've had real conversations with people in my real life. I can't promise whether they're listening to this podcast, but they have said, "Eh, NIL, I'm okay with that. Paying, I'm not so sure. Support the players. As um as my big bro Richard Johnson always says, every podcast is someone's first. Uh, folks, this was Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast. Signing off, I'm your host, Kevin Paul, and reminding you uh, to finish your breakfast, people. See y'all soon. Bye.